0: This is the day that everything else we do for the rest of the year is because of what happened or what we we celebrate that happened uh, on this day, the empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so what I want to talk about today and what I hope to convey is this idea that the resurrection was really the rallying cry for the early church. And we're going to look at that. And then we're going to see that because it was the rallying cry for the early church, it needs to be our rallying cry as we live our lives, as we pursue what God has called us to do, as we pursue the passions that God has put in us. The the empty tomb and the resurrection tells us that it is worthwhile and that we are able to fulfill what God has called us to do. And so let us start... Uh, By turning to John's Gospel in chapter 20, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. And it says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And what I want to talk about this morning is the idea of purpose, of this idea of passion, of living the life that God has called us to live. You know, I think that it is true, and I talk about it a lot, that we all need purpose in our lives. You know, we all long to, to do something significant with our lives. You know, I know that I fear, and I think that we should all fear, getting to the end of our lives, getting on our deathbed, realizing that we've never actually lived. You know, that we've never actually pursued and pressed through those difficult things that kind of burn on our heart to do. Right, and we we need to to learn to to press through and to embrace those callings on our lives. And I want to show a a clip this morning from probably, and this is man, I don't know, probably my favorite movie of all time. Yeah, yeah, it's not Star Wars. There's no, it's not Star Wars. I'm breaking the mold. All right, there's no lightsabers. There's no blasters. Nothing, all right? Um, this is the movie Stranger Than Fiction with Will Ferrell, all right? And it's not your standard Will Ferrell movie, right? This is, it's brilliant and beautiful. I just watched it the other day for research. And, and I, I found myself just kind of crying, like being really emotional about this story because it's this story of Will Ferrell plays this IRS auditor named Harold Crick, right? And Harold Crick has a very kind of... Uh, routine life, and he just goes through life. He uh, says that he counts the number of brush strokes every morning, of toothbrush strokes, right? And he takes the same number of steps to the bus every day, and he, he, uh, IRS audits the same number of cases every day, and he leaves work the same every day, and he eats at the same place every day. So, he's not embracing his life, right? And the story evolves that he through circumstances that I do not have time to get into, though I would love to, that he, he finds out that his death is imminent. And he from this moment on, he begins to pursue living life and fulfilling the dreams inside of him. Right? And so one of the dreams, as he's talking to people, you know, he seems like he has nothing. He has no hopes. He has no desires. And eventually he says, well, when I was a kid, I wanted my life to be more musical. You know, I wanted to learn how to play guitar. And so there's a scene that I'm going to show of Harold Crick. That's a guitar 100. With volume.
1: (laughs) Awesome. So good. Two guitars.
0: 732 strings.
1: 257 pickups. 189 volume knobs. Here Harold stood face to face with his oldest desire. And stand is almost all Harold did. It wasn't just about finding a guitar. It was about finding a guitar that said something about Harold. Unfortunately, this guitar said, when I get back to Georgia, that woman gonna feel my pain. This one said something along the lines of, why yes, these pants are like this. These said, I'm very sensitive, very caring, and I have absolutely no idea how to play the guitar. I'm compensating for something? Guess what? And then Harold Sawyer A damaged and terribly mistreated seafoam green fender staring back at him Despite its obvious maladies, the guitar spoke with conviction and swagger. In fact, it looked, Harold, directly in the eye and very plainly stated, I walk.
0: Awesome. So I had to, had to cut it off there. And so you're probably saying, Mark, I, I get it. That's such an Eastery clip. It makes complete sense to me. So if you'll just stick with me for a little while, I'm going to, I'm going to bring it back. Alright, and so we see in this part of the movie, okay, Harold Crick starts to become alive. He starts to embrace his passions. You see, before, earlier in the movie, he was hopeless and despondent and had nothing. And then he begins to live his life. He finds his calling, kind of, and he embraces guitar and we see from this point on the movie, he begins to pursue life, he begins to embrace life and things get better and And at the end, things get bad, and then things get better again. So, but we don't have time to talk about all that, right? And so, what I love about this story, The the Stranger Than Fiction, is it's this heart that burns inside of me to do something significant. And I have lived a lot of my life from the sidelines, just kind of watching other people live their lives. And so, I get excited. I am super excited about finding our passion and racing after that. And... Somebody else that is really inspiring to me, and I don't know if he's here this morning, is is Dan Jeffries. If you know Dan Jeffries, the guy is an entrepreneur, right? He's an entrepreneur's entrepreneur. He is a risk taker, and he has just gone after it. He started this company, New Mind, just him and his house, and now he's grown it. It's multiple, lots of employees, and he's kind of handed the running off to somebody else, and he's stuff, doing whatever it is that he's doing now. I don't know. He's great. And so it's inspiring because Dan had a, had a call on his life. I believe that, that God put that desire to be an entrepreneur inside of him. And he was willing to count the cost to pursue that. And now he's reaping the benefit of that. And in my life, he's been really instrumental because as he has pursued his dream, it has Encouraged me and, and helped me to pursue my dream. And he's, you know, his, his thing is a lot different than my thing, but there's this similarity that God has put inside each of us a call and a purpose and a desire to fulfill something. You know, and we all need to just um, be willing to count the cost and pursue it even when it is difficult because I think that. It's easy as we are pursuing our own thing. You know, as Dan is pursuing starting his business, there are difficulties and hard things that come up, right? I remember, you know, one Sunday morning that, like, some server crashed in Texas and he's trying to to deal with the, the, the... He does something with computers. And so there's something about a server and it was a big deal. And so he had to deal with that, right? And so... And there's times where he's had to work all day late into the evening and he just pursues it because God has called him not just to be an entrepreneur, but through that, God has called him to have an a influence on the business community in Kalamazoo. And so by following his dreams, he is able to walk out that call of God in his life. All right, and I'm not saying he's out there in the community preaching the gospel, but he's out there being salt and light and preaching the gospel through his life. And He is able to speak into people's lives that you and I would never be able to talk to. And the same is for you and for me that we have a call that as we pursue it, God is going to use us to fulfill His purpose in our life. And we all can forget why we're doing it. You know, I have taught Sunday school for a long time, so I know what it's like to forget why we are doing something. It can feel like oh, I'm just teaching this class, and these kids are crazy. What is going on? Right? Like why? They're, like everybody's in there worshiping; they're in the glory, and I am, you know, cleaning crushed goldfish off the carpet. You know why? Why am I doing this? You know, we have to remember the bigger picture, right? So, trust me, I'm getting closer. I'm getting back to the empty tomb. <laughs> Stay with me. And we need to, to know why we're doing it. Dan, while he was pressing through the difficulties of starting his own business, he pressed through because he knew where he was going. And when I have to deal with you know, all the busyness of life like we all do, bills and work and church and school and spouse and all this stuff, right? You can go, oh, this is so hard. Why am I continuing to go to school? It's it's because I want to be a pastor. That's right. I got to keep my focus on what I am doing and why I am doing it and we do it because we can see the goal, right? We can see the, the purpose, and I believe that the most significant things that we're called to do are going to be out of our reach. It's going to be stuff that we can't do on our own, and so we need to press through it, and we need to keep our eyes on the bigger picture, and we need to remember that we are, we are doing it because we want to fulfill the desire, the purpose, and the passion that God has put inside of us. And so today, being Easter, we're getting to Easter, I want to look at the story of the resurrection. And I want to look at how the first century believers were given a call. They were given a purpose. And a purpose, really, that was much too big for them to do. And this purpose included work, included pain, and difficulty, and stress, and persecution, but it was a purpose and a calling that they couldn't deny, right? And it was through living out that purpose that they were able to find the fullness of life that they were promised by Jesus. And it would have been super easy, right, for the disciples to kind of turn away from Jesus and just go buy a house and get the nice white picket fence and mow their lawn and watch television and just not <laughs> preach the gospel to the ends of the world. But these guys understood what they were called to do. All right? And they embraced it and they ran after it. And I believe that in the midst of, you know, preaching the gospel to all the world, there was probably times where they're like, why are we doing this? I've been beaten so many times. Right? Like, why? I've been ship- I'm shipwrecked again? This is crazy. You know, they're dealing with all of this stuff. And when they probably, they certainly would get discouraged and they certainly would get disappointed and question, why is this happening? They would remember the empty tomb and they would remember that Jesus is alive. And I believe that they would be reinvigorated to pursue that which God has called them to do. And so the morning that we find here in John 20 was a morning of disappointment. It was a morning of hopelessness and despair. You know, all the followers of Jesus, all that they had thought was going to happen and that they had hoped for, that this Jesus was the Messiah, that He was the one that was going to set everything right with the world, they found out that that was just foolishness. Jesus had ended up being a great teacher. He ended up being a great man. But that's all He was. He was just a man. And though even, even though Jesus had, had warned them at least three times that he was going to die and that he was going to rise again, they had no expectation. We see that through all the Gospels. They were not expecting a resurrection. They were weeping. They were scared. And now they were trying to deal with the, just the emotions of this hopelessness, this purposelessness that they were facing. And in the aftermath of that horrible crucifixion, You know, they—they certainly they wouldn't have known what to do, and so Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. And the Gospel of John doesn't actually tell us exactly why she goes to the tomb. Uh, The other Gospels kind of shed some light on that. Her and some of the other women were on their way to finish the burial process of Jesus, and so Mary is certainly not expecting a resurrection. You know, she's going to finish the burial. Oh, let's go get, finish this up. And you know, and she was going, because really what else is she going to do? Why? You know, Her whole life up to this point had been after Jesus had, had saved her and cast the demons out of her. And she had followed Him. And the Bible tells the story of Mary was this devoted follower of Jesus who, who served Him and followed Him and, and tried to help take care of His needs as He would wander around ministering. And she even followed Him to the... the the hill of crucifixion, she saw her Savior die and with it all of her hopes and her dreams and her thoughts of what was going to happen. And so she goes to visit the tomb to remember. But we know that she was not expecting a resurrection. So she goes back to the tomb, still not understanding, still not knowing what happened, and the disciples are gone. You know, and she she gets there, and the 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 uh, the stone is rolled away, right? So she gets there. She's like, "What's going on here? There's the, is somebody in there?" And she goes, and the tomb is empty. And like I said, she's not expecting a resurrection, right? And so. She doesn't know what to do, so she runs back and she tells the other disciples. They come and they leave. And the, so she eventually, during the story, she comes back to this tomb kind of trying to figure out what's going on and inside she peers in again, right? She peers in, it's empty, she goes back, she comes back, she peers in, there's two angels sitting there, right? And so they're seated and they say to her, Woman, why are you crying? And she turns and she runs into Jesus, but she doesn't recognize Him. You know, she mistakes Him for the, the gardener, and he asks her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you were looking for? And apparently she wasn't really paying much attention because she doesn't answer either of those questions. She says, Sir, if you have taken him, tell me where you have put him. And then he reveals himself to her by saying, Mary. And her eyes are opened and she clings to him. And she is she's hopeful again and, she, and Jesus says, Don't cling to me, but go tell the guys that I have risen. All right, and this is amazing, alright? This is amazing. You know, why didn't the angels show up to the disciples? They were literally just there a few moments before that. Right? Or why didn't Jesus reveal himself to the disciples who just probably walked down this same path? You know, they had just been there, but Jesus chooses to reveal himself for the first time to Mary. And I think that it is because God has a tendency to use the unexpected, to use the weak and the foolish, to fulfill the, the purposes that He has. And I'm not saying Mary was weak or foolish, alright? But God, in those, in those days, the, the testimony of women was not, you know, was not taken... Uh, in the court of law. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, they couldn't testify in the courts of law. They were just kind of like property. They were second-class citizens. Nobody, you know, paid much attention to women. And so, the fact that Jesus, that the Father would choose the women to be the first apostles, they are the first sent ones to proclaim the risen Jesus. Like, that is significant because Jesus is willing to use... The unexpected. He is willing to use the weak in in the foolish to fulfill his purposes. And that fact, just the, as an aside, the rea- the idea that the the women were the first ones to see the resurrected Jesus is a great way for us to as uh, a great proof that this story is real. Because if the disciples would have made this story up, you know, later on, and they're like, oh, well, man, it would be great if Jesus actually raised the dead. What would that story look like? And they wrote it down. They never, ever, ever, ever would have used women as the first witnesses. All right? And so that is significant. But Mark, what are you talking about? What does that have to do with me? And and what it means is that God is not looking for the best and the brightest. He's not looking for the person with the, the, the m- most degrees. You know, he's not looking for the person that has the most worldly authority. You know, he's not looking for the, maybe the best looking or the sharpest or the brightest, but he is looking for the faithful. Yeah. To those who will take him at his word and will run towards him. And as Mary was set free by Jesus and she had become a devoted follower, it wasn't her skills that gave her a place to be the first Apostle, but it was her faithfulness to follow and to serve Jesus. And we can all feel a lot like that, right? You know, and I often have felt like I don't measure up. And I believe that Jesus has called me. And I believe that Jesus has called each one of us. And we can answer that call by faith. And we can trust that the, the power of the indwelling Spirit lives inside us. You know, what we talked about this morning, that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave lives inside of us. It empowers us to fulfill that, what God, that which God has called us to do. You know, And whether that is being a pastor, whether that is being a landscaper, whether that is being a lawyer, or a garbage collector, or... Uh, Stay at home mom. Whatever it is that you've been called to do is significant, and God has put you there on purpose and has given you everything you need to fulfill it. Right. And as we're walking that out, and it gets discouraging, you know, I, I you know, everything gets every. All of life has discouragement in it, and we can get down on ourselves and feel like, "I man, this person would do better at this, or that person could do it, or I don't have what it takes, I'm just going to quit. We can remember that Jesus Christ has called us to this place. And that when we start to doubt ourselves, we can remember that the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus proclaims that he, what He said was true and that His promise of the Holy Spirit has been fulfilled in us and we are empowered to fulfill His call. That's good. I'm doing relatively good. Good. Alright, so we're, now we're going to change uh, a little bit. We're going to talk about the disciples. So, John 20, still in the chapter 20, but verse 19. I'm just going to read a couple verses. It says, On the evening of that first day of the week, so it's later that night, same day. When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And so here we have, in John twenty nineteen. we find the disciples behind locked doors. Right? It's Sunday night. Certainly, Peter and John are back. You know, they're telling them kind of what they found in the tomb. And John believes and Peter's like, I'm not sure what's going on. And they're all kind of like, what is going on? Mary's come back and said, I've seen the risen Lord. It's amazing. Um, and yet, we don't see this faithful and excited and bold, righteous group of disciples, right? It, the text says that they were scared. You know, they're still scared that the Jews are going to come back for them, that the Jews are going to come and crucify them just like they Crucified Jesus. And it seems, and it's pretty obvious if you read the text, that they don't understand. They don't know what to do. And as we can imagine that they're just kind of sitting there, right, kind of picking at their food, kind of trying to figure out, you know what, what are we, we going to do? now and trying to, you know, can we, can I, can we go back to fishing? Eh, maybe the nets are still there. I don't, I don't know. I guess I could do that. And Matthew's kind of like, well, I guess I could go back to tax collecting. No, I, can't, I don't think they'll let me back in. I kind of ruined that, that gig. And, and even if they were able to go back to their old lives, right, it would have been, it felt so colorless and pointless and empty because they had lived life to the fullest. They had walked with Jesus and they had seen healings and they had, you know, just really embraced life, and they were so hopeful for what was going to happen, and now it's all over, and they don't know what to do, and so they're hopeless and purposeless and despondent and scared, and so all of a sudden they're in this locked room. Jesus shows up, and you know they're, they probably jump off and like, "Oh, who's this guy? What's going on? This is scary." And Jesus says, "What's It's good disciples." That's exactly what they sounded like. Hey, what's this? What's going on here? Um, and so, sorry, so they jump up in surprise and Jesus says, Peace be with you. And peace be with you was a, was a common Hebrew greeting at that time. But here Jesus is using it in an incredibly significant way with a deeper meaning than just a casual greeting. Jesus had just a few chapters before this, and just a, probably a few days before this, had promised peace to his followers. And in John chapter 14, verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. Right? It's this inner chain. He's promising them peace. And in my awesome NIV study Bible, the notes uh, regarding this passage say that this term, peace or shalom, speaks, um, but, but, but the term speaks in effect of the salvation that Christ's redemptive work will achieve for His disciples. Total well-being and inner rest of spirit in fellowship with God. And so Jesus isn't just coming and saying, hey, think, have a great day. Things are, things are looking up. Here I am. He's saying, he's saying peace be with you. Peace of our heart, peace knowing that you have been restored in your relationship with the Almighty God. Peace through and through, regardless of situations, regardless of circumstances in life, I promise you peace. And here he is fulfilling it. And Paul the Apostle in Romans 5 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are no longer God's enemies. Oh, that's not in the Bible. That's my notes. That's, uh, uh, sorry. We, I don't want to speak. So we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Period. That's the quote. We, now this is me. We are no longer God's enemies, right? We, uh, God has come to us and through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ has brought us peace with God. And Gary Burge, a commentary writer, says, Nothing in the world can offer such a gift. Jesus' shalom, or Jesus' peace, not only brings an end to the brokenness caused by sin, but it will be the fruit of the Spirit when He departs. He is promising and He is fulfilling. He is giving them an end to the brokenness caused by sin. This sin crept into the world way back in Genesis 3 of the Garden of Eden when, when Adam and Eve ate from the, the tree that was forbidden. But at that very moment, God makes a promise that I am going to restore, I am going to redeem, I am going to buy you back and restore this relationship between you and God. And here in uh, you know, the end of John we see the fulfillment of that promise that Jesus Christ has paid the price. He has died on the cross. He has shed perfectly innocent blood so that you and I can have peace with God. And that is amazing. And that is what we celebrate this morning. And so Jesus' arrival in that locked room brings the fulfillment of all that He had promised them. And even though they were you know, they were scared and hiding and they weren't faith-filled. Jesus doesn't scold them or give them a hard time. He promises peace. And He's saying that, guys, remember what I told you. I told you I was going to die. I told you I was going to rise again. And now here I am proof, here I am proof that the grave could not hold me and that I am alive. And from this point on, we see a radically changed group of disciples. And so, Jesus is saying this exact same thing to you and I. He is speaking peace to each one of us today. You know, when our faith is flagging, when we don't understand what God is doing in our lives, when we don't understand what God is doing in the world, He says, peace be with you. He's dealt with the problem of sin, keeping you from being close to God the Father. He's spanned that great chasm that separated us from the Father so we can find rest and peace because of what Jesus did. Oh, good. And so Jesus' followers, right, they must have been overjoyed as he comes back. Oh, this is great. They've been on a real roller coaster the last week or so, right? There's the, the entry and crucifixion and now he's back. Oh, what's going on? And so they are rejoicing at Jesus' return and we, just like them, at the same time, we rejoice at the, the truth that we are serving a risen Savior who has brought us peace with God. But this wasn't the end. It's not like, oh, yay, Je- yeah, Jesus is back and we have peace with God and now let's just wait till we die and we can go to heaven. Jesus actually continues on and in John chapter 20, verse 21, it records and it says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. I know, we love it. Thank you, this is great. And He says, as the Father has sent Me, I am sending you. I am sending you. And so the resurrection... The empty tomb, Jesus' calling, becomes the, uh, the catalyst or the, the purpose, the, the momentum behind everything that the disciples do from this point on. And the resurrection, as we see throughout the book of Acts, is the central focus of the preaching of all of the apostles. The, the empty tomb, the resurrected Jesus, became the rallying cry of these suddenly bold and empowered disciples followers of christ and certainly along the way we know for a fact that there were difficulties and troubles There was persecution and there was martyrdom for these believers but the fact that jesus christ was raised from the dead proved that he was god it proved that their sins were forgiven it proved that jesus sat at the right hand of the throne of god And it proved that He would return and bring them back with Him to where the Father was. And so, the absolute fact, I absolutely believe it is an absolute undeniable fact that the tomb was empty and Jesus was resurrected. And that this should inspire us. It should encourage us to boldly and being filled with the power of the Spirit to live out the call that God has placed on our lives. And like I said before, you know, whether that is an evangelist, or a preacher, or a stay-at-home mom, or a husband, or a wife, or a lawyer, landscaper, whatever it is, God has called you to that, and it is significant. That's, I believe that the cross says that what you are called to do is significant, He's not looking for you know, just people with all this authority and these big positions and running churches and doing these things to proclaim the gospel. What is important is that He has called you and empowered you to fulfill what God has called you to do. And so everything we do, we do in the name of Jesus. And when you begin to waver in doubt and you're simply going through the motions, remember that the tomb was empty. Jesus is alive, and he did it all for you. Thank you. All right. So